Welcome to Breaking Down Bits, a conversation about great comedy bits with the comedians who wrote and performed them. Hey, welcome back to Breaking Down Bits. I'm your host, Brian Gendron. I'm Drew Jordan, and we're, we're already two now two episodes in. Uh, to season two and what a lineup we have we're so excited um the last the the premiere uh season two episode one jeff die was absolutely a wonderful conversation if you missed that one go back and check it out there's a lot that happened in that conversation absolutely which means it's probably time to do callbacks what's one thing that you picked up from the jeff die interview drew I think one of my favorite things, there's a lot, there's actually several that I had to choose from because there's so many great nuggets of information and, and, and kind of his way of thinking about comedy is great. The one that stands out the most is the way that he writes. He says that he puts his phone in airplane mode. He goes to a coffee shop. So he's not distracted about all with all the things around his home. And then an interesting strategy, a little twist that not many people have said before is then he just writes about whatever is on his mind, whatever he's thinking about, whatever it is. He said, you know, if it was police brutality, if it was falling in love, he just kind of wrote whatever was kind of on top of his mind anyway. And I think that was a cool technique and maybe pretty obvious, but kind of not to write content and jokes that is really personal to you because it's stuff that's truly on your mind. You're not trying to manufacture what would be a good joke or what would be a good topic. He's just said, I just, whatever is already on my mind, that's what I try to, to write from. And I, I like that idea. And I think that's something I'm going to be uh, trying to emulate myself as well. Absolutely. And of course, being in airport airplane mode allows you to eliminate all the distractions out there online, which can get you down some rabbit holes, which can detract you from creativity. Right. right. So so I agree. One of the things I appreciated most was his honesty and just like getting sort of the behind the scenes in Hollywood. I thought that was a lot of fun where he was comparing yeah. actors to stand up comics. And uh, but what I really took away and something I took on stage with me on Sunday at the improv, Drew, you were there. There was about 300 people there in the audience. And I just went for it, man. He 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 basically told us our responsibility is to make fun. Right. And so I'd never done a lot of political material, certainly not to crowds that size. And I just had him in the back of my mind, like, dude, just go for it and do it with a smile is something he encouraged us to do. So yeah. uh, he really helped me get through that set. And it was a killer set. So I'm glad we, we did the interview. Yeah. Great episode. Episode one of season two, Jeff die. Uh, don't miss that one. It's you will enjoy that one. I promise. Um, you can get all the details, of course, um, and all the links to everything at breakingdownbits.com. Also, don't forget, we're full for this week, but we're going to be running that uh, Breaking Down Bits virtual open mic. Uh, this is like half of the thing is you know, talking to comics, having those conversations, learning from these guys who are way further along than us. And then maybe step two is come to the virtual open mic, try out some material, use some of the, the things that you're picking up from these conversations uh, in some of your jokes, and let's talk about them. Yeah, so the next open mic, uh, there may be some opportunities to sign up. It'll probably be full by the, by the time we put this out, but uh, you email uh, breakingdownbits at gmail.com. We're going to have one uh, October 27th, which will be next Tuesday, and uh, we'll continue to do these uh, as much as we can and, and just really use the feedback that we learned from these comics and, and try to grow as comedians together. 
Awesome. Well, um, let's go ahead and get into uh, our guest for today. Uh, a great get. Uh, someone I actually ran into uh, in, of all places, Boise, Idaho is where I saw this guy. He's based out of Denver. Um, let's introduce our guest today, Mr. Sam Talent. Known for his quick wit and improvisation, Sam Talent is one of the sharpest, most original rising talents in comedy today. Called the absurd voice of a surreal generation by the Denver Post, Sam is beloved by fans of contemporary comedy. He was a new face at the 2019 Just for Laughs Montreal Comedy Festival. He won his battle on Comedy Central's Roast Battle, hosted the Denver episode of Viceland's Flop House, and appeared on The Chris Gethard Show to impress a girl. His critically acclaimed debut novel, Running the Light, was published by Too Big to Fail Press in 2020. All right, let's bring him in. Sam Talent, how are you? I'm good, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I'm blown away at the production value you guys have. This is uh, awesome. very well done. That that intro was very good. And uh, let me set up a recorder on my end, just in case uh, it craps out. I'm in the mountains right now between two wildfires. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, Well, I mean, technically, you did kind of write that bio, so uh, maybe the credit goes back to you on that one. Yeah, but uh, I didn't put some music and a video. So. <laughs> this is true. I clicked buttons for that. That's yeah, all I did. <laughs> hey, uh, do want to say thanks again for coming on the podcast. I I first um, was aware of you. I, I do some some work over in Boise, Idaho, and I I was just looking for. A, there's a comedy club there, and I was like, oh sweet, I'm gonna I'm working there that day. I was like, I'm gonna go check out this, get a ticket to the show, meet some local comics, you know, hit the open mics if I can. And I went up to Liquid Laughs. Shout out! And uh, you were performing with Christy, um, who is also an amazing comic. And it was such a fun show. I had an absolute blast and was like, wow, uh, how did I how did I not know about this guy? This was years ago. And since you've released your book, I realized everyone was ahead of me on this one. <laughs> Literally everyone in the comedy world knows who Sam Talent is except me. So, so glad to have you on the podcast. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, just this is fun. I'm looking forward to this one. I've done a lot of very bad podcasts promoting my book. <laughs> so uh, not only is the production value good, but uh, Brian is a beautiful man. To look at. It's delight. Um, it's delight. Yeah. yeah. Very upsetting uh, how handsome he is. So that's good. I'm filled with spite and, uh, and gratitude. <laughs> well, thanks, Sam. Uh, so here's what we start with. The first half of the show we like to talk about the industry, and I got to tell you, uh, resoundingly, you're well respected in the industry. I mean, we, you know, we were talking about our upcoming show with Jeff Die, and he, and he, we were like trying to say goodbye, and he's like, "No, oh, Santa, it's awesome." He like wouldn't, wouldn't, we had to get that in before we, we, we cut, uh, and just all over the place, man. I mean, we, I heard you uh, on the Joe Rogan podcast. I'm sure that helped you sell a few books, and. Okay. Uh, he yeah. was on there? Well, he mentioned, no, he mentioned running the light and they You're were talking about it. Yeah. 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 So, so look, y'all have, uh, y'all are getting out there. Whatever what it is you're doing, it's working. Did you, I didn't did know that ever, happened. Yeah. Wow. What episode Brian, was that, Brian? I, I wish I could remember, man. Okay. I'm sorry. Well, <laughs> look it up. Track it I down. Go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But but resoundingly, I mean, of course, the forward's done by Kyle Canade. I mean, just everybody loves you in the business. So what is it that what are you doing? I want to know. 
Oh, you mean like as of right now, this moment? Well, just what you know. How do you how do you keep your? There's let me let me tell you. In Houston, we you know it's clicky, right? It's very hard to to and it's just it's there's jealousy and envy built into just the just the fact that people are getting booked, people aren't, and so to just have such kindness and and just be well respected as you are, it's just it's I'm envious of it that you're able to achieve that, and just curious as to what you're doing, uh, even if it's unintentional, uh, to get such well, respect. I don't know. Uh, I've always been uh, funny first and always been very like nice to people. And uh, I'm very excited every time I get to hang out with comic because we're so lucky that we get to hang out with comedians who are like, you know, the funniest people in the world. So I've never really taken anything for granted. And also I've always fucking crushed um, <laughs> and like with a chip on my shoulder every damn time I go up there, either I'm going to destroy or I'm going to bring the entire show down with me. <laughs> uh, and I don't mean to say that like in like uh, I'm not trying to be like selfish but like I'm going to try and be the funniest I can and if I cannot I'm going to you know the Titanic's going to sink and I'm going to keep playing you know what I mean <laughs> um, so yeah man I don't know I just uh, I've just been very I'm very grateful to be a comedian and to be able to hang out with comics and I've never really taken that for granted you know and also I've fucking worked like when people do eventually move to LA or New York like they knew me when I came to, you know, Springfield or I came to uh, Cedar Falls or I came to New Orleans. Like they move and then they get to uh, they get to tell people that I'm funny when I do go to their town. And I'm I'm glad for that. Yeah. So obviously the JFL was was huge for you. What what kind of was there a was there a first a, an earlier break that kind of got you into the place where you could tour so much because obviously you're, you're very much the road guy. You're busy. You're working all over the place. What, what did you do to, to break into all those markets and all those comedy clubs? I did it the, probably the hardest and the most arduous way possible. Cause like JFL was not a big explosion for me. Like I'm very glad that I could not have to worry about doing JFL ever again. And I don't ever have to audition again, which is like the coolest thing about doing JFL. But, uh, you know, it's not 1995. Like, I didn't leave with a development deal. Um, and I don't know. I, I went – here was my thing. As I came from, like, punk rock first. So I would go and I would uh, – for instance, I always say New Orleans. I'd go to New Orleans or whatever small market, Omaha, uh, you know, Chicago. Not Chicago's not a small market. But I'd go to every city and I'd either call in favors with people who did my show in Denver or I would, like, hit up people who lived there. And I would do every open mic in town for like a week. And then by like halfway through that week after like killing, uh, people would be like, hey, I have a show on Saturday. Do you want to come do it? Like you can do like 10 on my book show. I'd be like, sure. And then I do that show. And then at the end of that week, people would be like, hey, if you're ever back in town, I run a show on the third Thursday and I can pay you like 50 bucks. So I would like just kind of accumulate all those shows that paid a little bit of money and I would come back and headline them the second time. And then the third time you come back, you can like maybe draw like 20 people. So people want to build a show around you. And I just did that consistently for like, you know, the last 12 years. And now I'm lucky that I can draw like, you know, 50 to 100 people in most markets in America. But I definitely like never had, I've never had an agent or a manager. Uh, wow. I've never had any like help from anyone besides my fellow comedians. And uh, I think that makes it, more legit man when you have people like when you have the king of that scene telling people to come see this show because like when people come to denver i'm not you know if, unless there's very like very funny i'm not promoting for them but when like the funniest person in your scene says like hey come see this person you probably will listen to them you know yeah 
so yeah, I just I tried to be as funny as possible every damn time because you never know who's gonna be in the room or my dad always says it's just about showing up, man. Like you just gotta be there. And if you do the work, like hopefully it'll all pay off. You know, it's like pebble by pebble, stone by stone type shit. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like that a, a great reminder to any co- comedian coming up is put the funny first and and do the hard work. No. I don't know if that matters anymore, though, dude. What do you say, do you say that? Well, I just like see a bunch of people who have like, you know, 15,000 Instagram followers and That's they've true. never said they don't have seven minutes to rub together. Mm. And they've never been publicly funny in any form that I've ever seen. Right. And still, they can like, you know they'll get into clubs easier than I do because they have, you know, a giant YouTube presence or whatever. Like, yeah, I don't really know. And I don't want to sound like an old withered husk, but I don't know how much funny, I don't know how much matters to be funny. You know what I mean? Which is interesting. Yeah. Cause unfortunately at the end of the day, it's about selling drinks and, and food. Uh, 100%, that's all we do. And, and so the, the, look, they don't care if you're telling jokes or if you're, if you're dying up there, but if, if you're, if, if you're, if you're selling that stuff, then you're winning. Uh, so that you, you raise a good point. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, there's still people, there's still so many people saying that, that want to get out and hear good comedy and you want to feel good at the end of the night. Uh, and, and if you're not achieving that, I don't think it's, it's gonna, it's gonna go any, it's going to go much further. Like, you know what I mean? That people aren't going to want to come back to that show. They'll be like, well, that he's funny online. He's YouTube funny, but he's not, he's not comedy. You know, he's not stand up funny. And so that's true, but I really don't know how savvy consumers are. You know what I mean? I think you gotta be both. You gotta be both. Right. I mean, it's in today's age, you gotta figure out both at Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, I think. So what's your, what's your strategy to combat that then since you're, you're way further along this road, how do you combat the, you know, the pretty YouTube, Instagram famous people who can cut and paste a bunch of stuff together that seems funny. How do you, how do you, how do you fight that? How do you compete in a world where that exists? Well, I'm lucky that I've been working organically for so long that, uh, you know, like I said, like the fourth time I come to town, people, the first, the 20 people who were at that first show want to bring someone to see it because it was so exciting, you know? Yeah. And like, I don't want to sound like I'm the best comedian ever, but I do give like, a, I, I am in the moment, I improvise, I riff, like, I really pride myself on my whole, my whole idea for my shows was like, it was like Grateful Dead shows or fish shows where like yes. they're bootlegged. <laughs> and like, people are like, well, you should have seen this show in Cincinnati. Like, that was like a real hot one. So, um, and also like, I'm not in a lot of clubs. Like I work for the clubs that have been nice to me and like, you know, I'm trying to break into more of them, but I'd much rather do like, uh, you know, Kansas City Thursday, Omaha Friday, uh, Springfield, Missouri Saturday, and just try and sell out 100 tickets at $10 a ticket and make three grand, as opposed to going to like, you know, X club uh, and making like, you know, eight to $1,200 for people who don't know who I am. Mm. So like, I'm, not, I'm not really like ahead of the curve. I just like, I really did it the dumbest, hardest way possible. <laughs> That's all I knew how to do, man. <laughs> You're just the behemoth. Uh, yeah yeah i mean and i you know uh i'd rather be lucky than dumb or love but uh i did it i did it it the tough way and it worked out i'm glad it's a weird it's a weird thing you're you're not going to believe it by looking at me but i'm actually i came up a fish head man so i love that i love that analogy of of sort of the it's the depth of of the material and uh and then just grinded it out over time. And of course they had tapers at all their shows that wanted to catch those moments that you can only catch during those particular, that exact show. 
Yeah. And that's a, that's a great analogy and a great call out to comics to be present, you know, do something, find out a way to make it unique uh, in writing or in approaching the show. And then of course, just be present in the moment and be able to, to, like you said, riff and improvise. Yeah. And I've always like given myself over real hard to the people after the show mm-hmm. where like, you know, I make my own merch and I'm selling my own merch and if people want to gush or bore me or, you know, like it's like the, like the Punisher, the guy who won't shut up or let you sell your merch and he just like stands in line and <laughs> tells me how much he likes Ari Shafir. Like, <laughs> given, I like Ari, Ari's the man, but you know, what I mean? like I've given way too much of myself to the crowd to uh, not have to pay off a little bit, you know? Oh, that's good. And yeah, I can attest to that. I mean, your show in that I saw that time was hilarious. You worked the room, you were present, you hung out afterwards. I mean, I hopefully I didn't punish you, but we did get a photo together. It was great. No, man. I'm sure you um, didn't take up 15 minutes while there were people <laughs> in line either. <laughs> did not. Did not do that. Um, but you yeah, I think the worst is Canaan, man. <laughs> dude, this dude's in like denim vests with like big beards and engaged earrings will fucking bother him and he's a slight man so i think that's why he likes me to open for him because i'll be like all right move it along fucking <laughs> so like after your set you have to be the bouncer for kyle Kanane? a little bit because he's so kind but he's so like you know he's real tiny too <laughs> oh that is funny any other um i think that you're such a your, your experience in that world if you had to give a tip to someone, let's say there's there's a there's a comic, you know, we're from Houston, a larger market, um, but it's, sometimes it's hard to start to break out of your city and start getting into other places. What are your what are you have any advice for that comic who says, man, I'm, I mean, I got like 10, 15 minutes that are solid. I'm ready to start branching out. What do I need to do to make some moves in in, in the comedy world and kind of make my impact a little larger? Uh, that's a really very nuanced and good question, actually. I don't know. I was lucky because I ran a show in Denver for six years, a weekly show with, and also hosted two open mics in town. So I had Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday were all shows that I hosted. Mm -hmm. Uh, So when people would come to town, they would pop into lion's lair on Monday. And if they were funny, I'd be like, Hey, I host Squire on Tuesday, come down. I'll like buy you a drink. And then also like the bigger name comics in town, if our show was good on Wednesday. So if they had like a, a Jonathan O'Donnell or a best selling back in the day, like in town, they'd be like, Hey, you should headline the Wednesday show with the fine gentlemen's club. Or even if they weren't that good and they came and did 10 minutes, they'd still be like, you just, I don't know. The trick to it is succinctly. Cause I ramble and I'm very sorry. <laughs> is, uh, is just like, if, if you're funny and people know you're funny and if you were solid to them in your town, there's no shame in asking uh, them up did i lose you guys okay oh there you go you said you said when uh if you were taught solid them no shame in asking for them for some yeah. stage time when you're in their city right yeah and also like, if you see that like you know back in the day it was like uh you know before soda really popped if i saw dan soda was in a place i'd hit him up and be like how was that show like who who books that show like mm. just hit up your friends and ask how things are going in different cities you know it is sure. a network and as long as you're not a fucking phony or a fraud like it's not an issue calling in favors Great. I think a lot of people are really scared to ask for stuff because they don't want their feelings hurt. Mm-hmm. But I've never like been afraid of asking people for stuff because I know I'm going to do a good job. Yeah, that, that's it. Yeah, I mean, you, you led, but be funny. That was your number one. That's number one. And, yeah. and, then, and then from there, you don't feel as bad because you know you're going to do well. You're, yeah. and you, you've always got that in the back of your mind. Uh, also, like if you are funny and you're in town and they have a big show, 
people would love to put their funny friend on in front of like a YouTube comic, knowing they're going to bury that comedian. Mm. You know, like if you're just funny, always be funny. That's all. That's the only trick. That's like the biggest shortcut is be fucking funny. Uh, you know, I, I was thinking of, I have a show that I run. Uh, it's on Saturday night. But the idea of running, you said Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and even I've, there's one in Houston on Thursday because people are coming and do the weekend, you know, and they'll always pop in. Uh, it's called God Damn It. That's a, a shout out for a local show here in Houston. I mean, the, a lot of times comics will come in and pop in and do 10, you know, to prep for their weekend show, try to test out some of those last jokes. And so I love the idea of mastering the middle of the week shows. Uh, or having a few of them with the opportunity to meet, you know, comics on the road. Yeah. I mean, that was the same thing in Denver is the weekend at comedy work starts on Thursday. So we ran Wednesday Perfect. and then Josh Blue would have someone and they'd be like, yeah, uh, go do this show. You know? Yeah. sounds like running a mic, running a show is a great way to get that those networking connections. You have something to offer a traveling comic or other local comics, you get, you got something to barter with now because you've, if you can grow a good show or host a good mic, you've got some, something to offer then. Yeah. And also if you think you're king shit in your town, like these kids who start at your shows are going to move somewhere else and they're going to get funny. So like if you were a dickhead to them and they move off to Boston, they're not going to bring you in to headline their show in Boston, you know, mm. or if they move to Seattle or Austin or whatever it may be like, yeah, it's like, don't be mean to people. There's, you don't benefit at all. But, being mean to people yeah i had a boss uh, a while back that would say, said drew um you know i always always treat everyone nicely because you know one day i might need a job from you yeah uh and i think that's a great way to live to know, never put, position yourself in your head above other people because one day you might need their help just because you might have the status today doesn't mean that's going to be the truth tomorrow yeah man 100 percent well, the, the second part of our show, we really dig into writing and performance. And one of the things we do is we watch some of your material. But before that, we like to do a couple questions that we ask everybody. Uh, the first one, very open-ended. It's just, how does Sam Talent write comedy? On stage, man. Yes. Uh, I couldn't I couldn't be. I, I'm a very bad writer of jokes. Um like when you said the Jeff die, like I've been with Jeff die in a coffee shop where he's like, let's get some coffee. And I'm like, cool, we'll shoot the shit and like kill two hours. And he's like writing the whole time. It's like, oh, this isn't why I'm here. I thought we were going to be goofing. Um, <laughs> the best I can do at writing is thinking of a funny line and then writing that down and then trying to build the rest of the entire bit around saying that funny line. But uh, I'm like a big idea guy where it's like, okay, this let's riff on this. Let's riff on that. And I think I've really been hurting during quarantine because I have to, like I was doing, you know, 45 weekends a year on the road and I'd be able to hammer out ideas for five shows in a weekend. And by the end of that, like, you know, maybe you have a new three to five minutes and it's pretty cool, but yeah, I can't just sit down with a pen and a pad, man. I'm, I'm very much writing on stage. Wow. So what do you, if you're on stage writer generally, um, what are you doing off stage to prepare yourself for that moment? On is there anything you're doing? Um, you know, collecting ideas. What are you doing off stage that allows you to do so much writing on stage? I'm drinking about seven Miller Lights. Um, <laughs> good start. Good start. Well, I mean, I love. I like to hang out. With comics. So, sorry, did I break up there? Yeah, sorry. So, would you start that over? You said you you hang out with comics. Yeah, I like to I like to bust balls in the green room, and also I started an improv, which I know how like shameful that is for a comedian to admit, but uh, <laughs> I never thought I was going to be a stand up. I thought I was going to be in like Second City or something. So, 
I started doing improv and I got really comfortable with improv's good to teach you how to fail on stage in front of people. Mm. That's, that's the thing you learn is to go up there with nothing and be totally okay with fucking bombing in front of a paid crowd, which, you know, you need to get over if you're going to be a good comic. But uh, yeah, man, I mean, there's, I pace a lot. Uh, I, I'm in the back just pacing like a lion, uh, like a fucking animal. And uh, <laughs> I think the best thing I've done is I put my brand, put my ego on the line enough that it needs to back me up. Like I've been funny consistently enough that I've trained my brain to like not allow me to fail, I guess on stage, which isn't like helpful uh, at all. Like I'm not giving very good tips or advice on that. I really, (laughs) I'm not, I don't have any kind of preparation for the stage besides just like 10 minutes of pacing real hard while the feature's on. (laughs) Good strategy, good strategy. Gets the blood flowing, right? Yeah, for sure. I like to do primate posture with your hands over your head, like that <laughs> your reptile brain going. Um, <laughs> so would you yeah. say that? Would you say that for you and maybe your personality type is? Are you kind of an always on kind of guy? Where no, like no, 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 not at all. Uh, no, I mean I think that you can tell by this interview that I'm very sincere and earnest. You know, sure. Um, but I mean, if we're in the green room, dude, like I'm with the funniest people in Houston. Let's fucking bust balls. Let's have some yeah. fun. But uh, gotcha. yeah, I'm definitely not always on, man. I detest those people. They're very, they're very taxing. You can never really like break <laughs> through to the real them. Yeah, um, it's just like, dude, we have to hang out for three days in Wichita. Like, <laughs> you're, you're tiring me out already. You know, like I'm not going to buy your lunch if you're annoying. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I, I'm, I'm just always astounded by the on-stage writers. Like for me, I've had moments where I've for sure had a a nice tag come to mind or an interaction with an audience member leads to a different perspective on a joke. And I'm thankful for those little gifts when they happen, but I never step foot on stage without having a great idea of every joke I'm probably going to do. And I, I'd love to loosen up more and be able to be more flexible, but um, just not there yet. I'm always astounded by these uh, comics like you, who just have that riffing ability and, and then maybe that improv background does kind of make you just like confident to go, Hey, I'm going to try this. And maybe I'm, maybe I need to loosen up and stop being afraid to fail. Well, I mean, it's exciting. Like it's more exciting for me as a performer to be in that mm-hmm. situation. And I think it's more electric, um, but it's also grass mm-hmm. is greener, man, because I got a lot of friends who are very gifted writers and it's really, uh, I'm very jealous of whenever they're on stage and able to just do 10 minutes of killer jokes and I got to go up there and use every part of the Buffalo. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I'm rapping and tickling, but uh. <laughs> I think when I, when I, when I asked if you were always on, I think what I really was, was trying to get at was, were you the guy, if you're the onstage writer, does that mean that maybe you are great at making people laugh just in the lunch line and oh, yeah. you know, hanging out? Like you're that guy who works the people in those little candid moments and you're getting yeah. the big laughs in those moments. Yeah, like I've been, you know, it's fun. I've been pushing my mom around in her wheelchair up in here in Estes Park. And it's fun to say something real obscene to your mom when you're passing a group of four people. You know, like, <laughs> that's one of my favorite bits. Um, but yeah, dude, I really enjoy making people laugh. And I really, I, I don't get off on the idea of just doing an act, you know, like, yeah. I know my show isn't uh, as good when I'm just doing when I'm going like, my favorite show is when I can stay away from my act completely and do 45 minutes of just riffing and crowd work like that i think that's that's the juice for me man 
There's, sure. there's, there's definitely some irony here that the guy who doesn't write and, and is afraid of writing is one of the only comics I know that's written any fiction and, and a full <laughs> fiction novel. Uh, I'm, a little, I'm going a little bit off, off, but this is okay because I want to talk about it. Uh, before we get into the, the, the comedy sets and all that, let's, uh, let's take, take a minute about the – tell us about the book, man. How did that come to be then? Damn. I lost that entire question, dude. Oh, just how, how did the how did the book come to be? Was was ultimately what, oh. what it landed on? Yeah, man. Uh, I wrote I wrote this book when I lived in uh, I lived in Las Vegas. My wife did her first two years of med school in Las Vegas, and I've always been like a big reader of literature. I love reading, and I I wrote short stories and stuff for a long time. Uh, but I was just alone, man. I was like very alone. It was a very lonely. Uh, you know, besides my wife, I, I didn't really have uh, the big friend circle I had coming from Denver where I was like, you know, as plugged into the community as a man can be. So, yeah, it just came from like, you know, and also like I couldn't go outside in Vegas because it was 110 degrees all day. <laughs> so, like back in the day, I just go outside and read in the park like that wasn't really an option in Vegas. So just came from solitude, I think, and reading a bunch. I love reading. Did did a lot of the inspiration. I, I wish I was further into the book than I am. I just grabbed it ab uh, about a week ago and uh, just sounding out words is slow for me. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> I love it. And I love the it seems like and maybe I'm off base on this, but it seems like you're giving some really great insight into what it's like to be a road comic in. It feels like there's there's a lot of truth being masked in the fiction novel, if, unless I'm off base here. No, man. I mean, it's uh, all those shows are shows I've done, you know, or like situations I've been in or, mm -hmm. or experience from other comedians. And uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, a, it's a cautionary tale, man. It's the guy I don't want to turn into, you know, that's a hundred percent what it is. It's just who I fear becoming on the road because the road will, the road will make you feral, man. If you don't have anyone to answer to and you're just a ghost out there by yourself, like you can get real dark and real bleak and real gross. Yeah. What is your, uh, in those moments, what, what can you do as a road comic to stay connected? And what, did you have some real life strategies that you, that you implore to, to not be that way? Yeah. I really like having a feature that I love with me at all times. Uh, like I, oh, I, 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 I just, it's really important for me to have someone that makes me laugh and makes me feel like uh, not alone out there. So I definitely, prioritized people who are uh, are my friends and having them open for me is like super important and also i have like a very great wife and like a great family so I'm, i can always call people too right. you know but uh my wife's my wife's busy she's in a hospital all day so uh having like donnie townsend or having dan alton or having uh christy Bukley with me is just like even if i gotta pay a little to bring them with me or pay for their hotel room or whatever like it makes it a lot better for me yeah. I mean, that sounds like a great strategy just to never be totally disconnected from your, you know, your people that you love. Well, the, I'm going to go ahead and Drew, if it's all right, cue up the set. Yeah. Uh, cool. oh, go, ahead. go ahead, Sam. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. There's a little bit of lag and I do apologize to the listeners. I'm in Estes Park, which is between the two wildfires in Colorado right now. Yeah. And uh, The internet's yeah. not probably super strong there. No, it's not, dude, because <laughs> firefighters are using it to save pets and families, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, it's more important right now. For yeah. sure. More important than dick jokes, but we'll, we'll still get through it. Uh, the, uh, so, so real quick, the way we set this up is just tell us a little bit about, I think it's a JFL, uh, edition, but just, yeah. um, 
let us know about any details about that day, about that that set, anything we should know behind the scenes. Yeah, I think this was my fifth or sixth JFL audition. And three years previous to this, I had been told that I had JFL by the people who were in charge. And then I did like uh, an interview with them because you do like a series of phone interviews afterward. Yeah. They were like, so where are you going to move, L.A. or New York? And I was like, well, I'm not moving anywhere until my wife's done with med school. You know, I was like, I'm staying in Denver because I love my wife. And like, that's what's important to me. And then when they announced JFL, I wasn't in it. After telling a couple of people, like, I got it. Uh, it really wow. hurt. And then I, I reached out to them and I was like, what the fuck? And they were like, yeah, you should have lied. You should have said you were going to move to L.A. or New York. Wow. Uh, and then the lady who was like co-in charge of JFL stopped doing it that year. And uh, I had to fucking audition, you know, two or three more times to finally get it. And I did lie. I eventually lied. and was like, I'm moving to L.A. or New York. Yeah, as soon as I get this, I'm out of here. <laughs> I was really intention of doing that ever. <laughs> There's wow. That there's the there's the advice where it's just so you have to compromise on your morals and integrity to get ahead. That's that's so unfortunate. That's the if Jeff was listening to this, I am planning on moving to L.A. or New York <laughs> immediately <laughs> after this interview. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, let's, hey guys, let's go ahead. Let's go ahead and roll the first part of this clip. I divided up into two parts. Let's roll it. Make some noise for Sam Talents. <laughs> Uh, been watching the show. There's a certain kind of comedy that's missing, and that is impressions. You guys like impressions? All right, good. Hey, you guys like Ray Romano? All right, less enthusiasm. That's fine. Here's an impression for you of Ray Romano getting fucked in the ass. All right? Yeah. Hey, you're thinking it? I'm saying it. Here it is, everyone. Ray Romano bent over the barrel. Here it is. Oh. 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 Robert, there it is everyone. Thank you. That's right. Applause break. Out the gates. You're welcome, guys. I'm a bit weird. I'm sorry. I got fired from my job this week, everybody. Yeah, I know I worked at Rocky Mountain Chocolate Factory. They fired me for over-enthusiasm. Can you believe this? I love the job too much. This guy came and he was a secret shopper. He's like, what should I get? I said, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I'm a little fudge judge. They fired me. That's an example of a joke, all right. Uh, my wife was like, don't do that joke. I was like, ah, what do you know, you rascal? That's right. Yeah, I, I have a wife, everyone. Uh-huh, I am married to a lady, yeah. Uh, didn't have to clap, wasn't a make-a-wish, no. Uh, no, uh, yeah. She did propose to me, though, which is weird, because it means she has a type. It's type two. Uh, now... I love her and my feet hurt. So my wife, <laughs> my wife, real, uh, real hell of a love maker. This lady, all right, real enthusiastic gal. Uh huh. She did. We, uh, she actually proposed to me uh, at a bed and breakfast because uh, we've got a, a weird fetish. Anyone been to the bed and breakfast with a lover before? Okay, one. Nice. Yeah. One dirty perf, all right. 
It's fine. You got the same kink. We love the bed and breakfast. Me, my wife, this lady over here. All right? We got this weird thing where we like to fuck at places that feel like grandma's house. That's... Yeah. Ah. Wish I was kidding. I'm not. No. I can't even get hard anymore unless there's like seven American Girl dolls in the room. Um... <laughs> oh, such a such a good set. So much, so much to talk about there. So many questions uh, already on my mind. So you started with an impression. Uh, my last set, I considered doing a Donald Trump impression, and somebody's like, "You can't do it. It's hacky." And I was like, uh, "Okay, fine. You're probably and I probably would suck at it anyway." So I've never done it. I don't know if Drew, if you do. I can't think of you doing impressions on stage, but. I haven't done any really. I think Ray, the Ray Romano one, I, the, it's so perfect, but it's not really a lot of an impression. So I'm, I'm wondering, like, did you just like be like, I'm going to I got an idea. I'm going to barely do this impression. It's going to be really funny. Uh, and just kind of it seemed like it was almost not premeditated. It really come, came off as like the way you sold it was like, here goes. I'm just going to launch into the show and get a laugh in the first few seconds. Yeah. Um the, I mean, I'm very good at making it seem like I'm uh, improvising, <laughs> you know, like yeah. I'm good at making the joke seems like uh, very new totally. and organic, but that joke came from me making that noise. <laughs> like that was yeah. my Ray <laughs> uh, And also like that joke always gets an applause break. Uh, so I was like, okay, I got, I got 30 seconds. I need to, sh I needed to kill. Like this was very important to me. That's my home club comedy works. Like, uh, so I was like, okay, do the Ray Romano up front. It's absurd. It's uh, I don't want to say it's anti-comedy, but it's very much like not begging for it. You know what I mean? It's not yeah, like yeah. thirsty for the laughter. Um, yeah. It always gets an applause break. So I was like, okay, this is a lock. I'll open with this. Kind of set the tone that's going to be silly and strange. And you know, I, this this audition was like everyone in Denver who's on the paid list was auditioning. It was two nights, and wow. uh, this was the second night, and it was a lot of people just doing like their very hardcore a material which is so rote and uh, memorized i was like i'm gonna do my best to cover all my bases and uh try and make it seem kind of fun and different and opening with ray romano getting fucked in the ass is a good way to do that <laughs> it does set a it does set quite a tone <laughs> for the rest yeah. of the show uh that maybe you're not gonna un it, it, it sets a tone i think of surprise like they're they were not expecting that and now they don't know what to expect next. And I think that creates a real sense of excitement in the audience, probably. It's definitely like a what the hell is this? Like I like <laughs> an opener. And I do open with Ray Romano very often on the road. Yeah. Uh, because it, uh, it draws him in and it's dirty, but also it's very silly, which mm -hmm. I think is like very fun comedy to do. Yeah. And I, re I remember talking to my friends about, uh, they were like, what are you going to open with? And I was like, Ray Romano and the Fudge Judge. And they were all like, "You don't, you don't want JFL. Like, what do you how, how big of a fuck can you give to this guy if you're going to do those two good front?" And I was like, "Ah, oh, that's that's where it's at. This is the move." Yeah, <laughs> it's, that's, yeah. it's good because yeah, then you went into the fudge judge, both very silly, but and really could have been anybody. And then you take the opportunity to go personal. Now you're talking about your wife, and uh, and then it allows you to go anywhere with that. And I, the bed bed. bed 
bed and breakfast. Uh, I've been to a bed and breakfast with my wife. I'm sure a lot of people in the audience are a good, good portion of them have. And the way you sold it and described it is very accurate. <laughs> it's super accurate. Uh, so very good visually. And then you, yeah. then you had the, then you open it up now that you've created this image for you to play in that space. And you do that for a long time in this, in this set. It's great. Yeah, man. I mean, but Fudge Judge is the biggest. Like last night, my sister, my brother-in-law, my mom and dad are up at this cabin, and they always quote Fudge Judge because it literally doesn't make any sense. Like why, <laughs> that, why that joke works? I wanted to include include that in this interview because I really don't know what the deal is there, <laughs> but it's so much fun. It's the most fun I get to have telling a joke I've written as Fudge Judge, and I really don't know why it's a slam dunk. But it fucking hits every time, dude. <laughs> I think it might be one of those jokes that, like, it's a phrase that sounds dirty but isn't. Yeah. Or, or and you're just like, you. It's funny just because of the phonetics, not yeah. necessarily the semantics of the of the joke. It's just the it's the sounds you make that is is funny. It's also not really a joke. Yeah. Like I got fired from my job for over enthusiasm. <laughs> what are you talking about? When there's a secret shopper. Who he has the he, he decides who lives and dies. He has the higher higher capabilities. And I fired for saying wink wink nudge nudge. I'm little fudge judge. None of it adds up. There's no trails of breadcrumbs that lead back to the cabin, man. <laughs> well, I think so. It's in there. It's almost in the set for you. Like you get to laugh that they're like, why are you laughing at this? And then you get to have kind of fun in your own head every time oh. you tell it. Right? It's yes. one of those types of things. 100%. And now you're having fun, and that that's important in any set as well. So, yeah. So. yeah, it can't be more overrated. That thing Jeff Dye, you said Jeff Dye said about smiling is really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, crowd is so dumb, man. Like if they think you're laughing, they're like, "Oh, well, I should be laughing." This guy's a professional. <laughs> yeah, I I would say that you know me and me and Brian make no secret about the fact that we are we are newer comics. We are, we are not you know ten years twenty years down the road at all. We're newer. But the one thing that I think I've realized in my writing as a new as a newer comic is that the audience like I give the I gave the audience way too much credit in in my early writings. And I made the jokes too hard to follow because I wanted it to be smart. I mm. wanted it to catch them by surprise. And then I go on stage or I go out to shows and stuff. And these guys doing the dumbest dick jokes I've ever heard are just slaying. And I'm like. I'm doing this wrong or something. <laughs> yeah, but you don't want to like sell yourself out. It's a fine line, man. Like I know exactly what you're talking about, but uh, yeah, I just always, I want to make everyone laugh. And like the crowd thinking I'm smart means zero to me. I don't need anyone to think I'm smart. Right. I think that's why my book was such a surprise to so many people. Because they were like, man, like as a fan of yours, I didn't like really think that you were a smart person. <laughs> like, totally fine. I'm much rather be underestimated than overestimated, man. Yeah, but I think yeah, I think what you do there is, and maybe what I'm trying to say and perceive from what you do is, there's a line that you want the you want the audience to get the joke, and and you got to realize that they're not there analyzing the jokes the way that we do behind the scenes or in our brains. Yeah. They're, they're have, trying to have a good time. Give them the breadcrumbs that lead them to the laughs, and yeah. don't try to create some you know, I don't know, chemistry joke in the background with all these ex- complicated references and stuff, you know, and it, and it's all in your head because I don't need people to think I'm an artist. I'm fine with them thinking I'm an artist. like, that's totally fine with me, man. 
I was gonna, I was, I was gonna do it. I feel like I bring it up every single show now, Drew. But uh, we we had uh, Scott Dickers, the editor of the Onion, uh, on, and, and that was it. He's like, there's a distinction between comedy and art. It's it's entertainment. It's not art. And so, right. you know, you got to be careful not to to try to get too much into the art of comedy. You might lose people. As to Drew's point, lose your art. Art, you're allowed to use symbols, and art's allowed to be interpreted. You're allowed to make people feel like uh, ennui or like longing or lust or heartbreak. And comedy, they're either laughing or they aren't laughing. Like there's no art form to it. I hate that fucking thing about comedy being art. That's so pretentious and high minded. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. It's it's, as Scott Dickers put it, it's entertainment. People have to like it. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. They have to enjoy it. They have to laugh. That's the only uh, response you're allowed to get if you're good at your job is laughter. Yeah. I'm going to, uh, if it's okay, I'm going to run the second half of this clip. I had to break it up into two the way our software works. And it's just, yeah. it was an unfortunate spot where I broke it up. So let me run the second part of the clip and then we'll talk about it. Sure. My wife though, real passionate when it comes to getting it on. Uh, even if you know, I'm not there. I, well, I came home a day early. I was on the road. Sunday show was canceled. I said, I'm going to fly home a day early. Not tell the old lady, surprise her, you know? So I walk in the apartment, put down the bag, put on the eye patch, salute the dog, you know? Uh, just coming home stuff. And then, from the old bedroom, I heard some wild noises, right? And I walked in on her, uh, having a moment alone, you know? Uh, eyes closed. She was tending her secret garden. Uh, yeah, she looked like Stevie Wonder doing a bass solo. Just... <laughs> It was disgusting. Has anybody... Has anybody seen this? Has anybody seen my wife masturbate? Huh? Thank you for supporting the webcam. Here's the thing, team. Ladies, you do it different when you're alone. That's the truth. Whenever a woman's done it in front of me, we're setting the mood. We got some Christmas music on. All right? I'm pulling my taffy like an Amish kid on Rumspringer. I'm just... very long foreskin, all right? And whenever a woman's ever done it in front of me, it's always one finger, it's one delicate finger, and it's right on the dog's nose, right down there. He's been a good boy. You're not checking his gums. His teeth are fine, it's right on the nose. And there's a lot of giggling and eye contact involved as you feed that little cross chipmunk almonds one at a time. It's just a lot of, (laughs) oh, (laughs) oh. Check the wind. Oh! It's adorable and erotic, like youth volleyball. But here's the thing, all right? Shut up, I have to keep killing. All right. I walked into my wife jerking off by herself. First of all, the room smelled terrible. My God. It was like walking into the rainforest exhibit at an underfunded zoo. That was it. Monkey noises, primate smells. Very high relative humidity. Three fingers, three furious and curious fingers. Human claw machine downtown. It looked like a sloth trying to pick up a pumpkin seed. It was, she was ripping the copper wire out of the adobe walls. It was like there was one pickle left in the jar. Does that make sense? 
fingers disappearing. She was nodding and shaking her head at the same time. Like a real indecisive catcher. That's what it was. So anyway, that's the story of how we lost my wife's engagement ring. Uh, I've been Sam Talent, thank you. I'm headlining on Sunday at the South Club. Come see me. <laughs> wow. Oh my goodness. I think after hearing that you kind of got your start in improv, it makes so much sense and how funny and how these bits probably grew and little things added to it was just it's just the perfect bit that just you could tell that you could have taken this bit i don't know how long it is in your regular sets it's got to be at least 10 15 20 minutes long you could probably take this for a whole headlining set if you wanted to yeah definitely like at least a seven minute bit you know yeah and also uh, i have like three different closers that i'll rotate through and that one's the one if i'm like doing the late show saturday you know like that's the dirty closer yeah and, uh, <laughs> And it was weird, like that that Airbnb or the uh, bed and breakfast joke I had to cut in half, and then this joke I had to just cut down to its like most primal aspects. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean that's nerve wracking when you're auditioning, but also that joke is fucking like you can see in the crowd, like people are their heads <laughs> moving, they're convulsing. Like <laughs> I'm, I I was like, look, this this was nuclear warfare. This was me dropping the nuke on Jeff Singer's uh, fedora. I was like, look, watch how hard I can fucking kill. You know what I mean? <laughs> I love that in the middle of the set, you yelled at the audience to shut up. I I'm have to killing. keep killing. Yeah, keep killing. <laughs> that, that's classic hubris, man. That's, uh, that's a big Sam T move where you tell the crowd how good you are. <laughs> shut up. I have to keep doing great. Yeah. When I said that, I'm staring right at Jeff Singer, too. <laughs> that's I'm staring so through the guy who runs Montreal. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So many act outs. How do you... What's your strategy with creating these act outs and why are they so good? Uh, I think a lot of comics are afraid to do act outs. Yeah. I think they think it's hacky or lazy. And it's like, why wouldn't you use every, you know, every paintbrush, every color of the wind, man? I've, I've never been a, averse to, to doing everything up there. Uh, that, that Stevie Wonder doing a bass solo thing was, that was like new that night. Really? Yeah. Well, I think I said it. I ran the set the night before at an open mic just because, you know, I had to get it in order and I like riffed that and I was like, Whoa, that's cool. All right. So, uh, yeah, I threw that in there, man. But, uh, also that joke's not true. None of my jokes are based on any kind of fact. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I just want to put that out there. That's not about my wife. <laughs> also, I, I couldn't do that joke at Montreal. <laughs> Well, is it too it's too dirty for Montreal? I, I mean Jeff Singer, the people at Montreal don't give you very good notes. He was just like that joke made a couple of our female employees uncomfortable. Oh, what what is it, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see the audience? I had to tell them to yeah. shut up. Exactly. <laughs> oh, this goes out to show how little they know, because I have another bit in the beginning of that bed and breakfast joke where it's like my wife proposed to me, uh, she has a type, it's type two. Right. And fat guy joke. There's no nuance to it. It's very much yeah. a hammer. And Singer was like, "Does that mean you uh, you're like a type two personality?" And I was like, "No, I'm just like I'm a you know diabetes." And he's like, "But it works in the room." And I was like, "Yeah, it works in the room." And he's like, "All right, we don't know what they're talking about, man." 
That's twerk, weird. Twerk I did notice yeah. that was that was the one joke that did. You had, I mean, I feel like some people might have missed that one, but it's it's golden. But it it took that that small leap. You didn't like. I think if you're a comedy fan, you had to know that's what the reference was. But how how could you? I don't know how you could miss that one. I don't either, especially when there's a 300 pound monster screaming it at you. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta. I'm gonna go back to act out real quick. Uh, so in in my set, I like to act out too, Sam. And and it takes me probably longer than it takes you. You're like, yeah, I did it the night before. So I'll get laughs on the idea. And then I'll, I'll add in the act out on the next night. And then slowly, as I get more and more confidence, the act out gets better and better. Right. So that, that's how I grow them. We had we had Ron G on and he talked about visual punchlines. And I'm like, mm, I love that. Yeah. How do we add more of that to our sets? Uh, and so it sounds like you is, is that kind of the process for you? You're just better at it than me <laughs> doing it longer. I mean, I don't know. I just uh, like funny faces are such a forgotten thing in stand up. Like, you know, Cedric, the entertainer, he's insane. He can get a lot. He has visual callbacks. Like, he'll do <laughs> body posture or he'll hold the mic a certain way. Yeah. It's just as effective as a callback as if he wants to say anything. So um, I, I think that like that joke, I was riffing it. And then eventually, like you said, like you just the next night you uh, you act it out a little bit. And then once you act it out, then you can tag the act out with more verbalization. And then it all just kind of uh, mixes together over the course of a week or a month or a year, you know? Yeah. I feel like I need to maybe videoing your sets. I don't do that either. I've never 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 recorded myself, man. Really? You just have an insane memory. Well, I get to do stand up enough. Uh, But yeah, I hate, I hate watching myself, dude. I feel like if I watched myself, I might realize I'm not acting out enough. And I, I might go, oh, I'm standing still. I'm not, I, you know, I think I get, I get so maybe consumed about the joke I'm telling and I'm not really living it out. I'm not really expressing it. I wonder if that's, um, if I videoed my sets and I saw how boring I looked that I might be inspired to do more act outs. <laughs> I think that watching yourself and recording yourself is very good. Uh, I think that's a great thing. This this should probably be like how not to do stand-up. Sam Talent's <laughs> how not to do comedy. Yeah. Book, book two. Yeah. <laughs> another, another thing I really appreciate about your comedy, Sam, is your ability. And it's interesting that you said this is not rooted in truth. I wonder if it's like my comedy where it's rooted in like shrapnel of truth, the things that have happened to me over time and I kind of clob them together in my brain. I imagine that's the case. But as you're telling this stuff, uh, like the, the, what is it? The underfunded zoo. Like at first, at first I was like, man, has he been to Moody Gardens? And then you talked about the sloth. I'm like, maybe it's the aquarium in Dallas, but either way you were able to kind of, uh, help me under get with you visually and, yeah. and be in the setting. And now I'm with you and now I'm, I can, I'll laugh at anything you say. Cause you brought me into this environment that I'm able to construct. So you did that verbally. That's, that's incredible. Thanks. Man. Uh, Thank yeah. you. It makes a lot of sense how you're able to write the way you are in your book because, I mean, you have that ability. You have that very, like, you don't really show off all the ability, obviously, that you have in your comedy writing. You're a very gifted writer um, in the book that's very obvious. And you do paint pictures immaculately. As you're reading that book, your brain is just exploding with visual cues, um, which I think is just a just a great reminder that yeah you you've got that sewn up so strong thanks man yeah and uh 
I'm not trying to be obtuse or sound like I'm fucking profound or a prodigy. It's just like they're different. They're different muscles. Like I've I've read a lot of literature, and I've watched a lot of very silly comedy. So it's like, of course, I'm going to emulate silly comedy, and I'm going to try and rip off like, you know, very uh, sincere prose. Uh, it's just. I don't know. But like you said, dude, like that zoo line, like, of course, when I have that line, I'm going to try and make it as sharp as possible. Like I am honing all the time. I'm just not like in front of a pen and pad. And uh, I'm sure my bits would get a lot tighter, a lot quicker if I was to watch or listen to my sets. But, you know, I'd rather like ride a bike or cook dinner. (laughs) (laughs) And then then you come up with more material. You know what I mean? Sometimes if you you bury yourself, you know, 16 hours a day in in writing, you're not going out experiencing and living life. And so you're not going to be able to farm new material, uh, if that makes any sense. I lost you a little bit. Sorry. I got the farming new material. Yeah. Because me and my dad and brother-in-law are all in the same room. And this uh, handicapper we follow on Twitter, he just tweeted and all of our phones made the alert. (laughs) (laughs) That's how sensitive it is. Uh, So what is it? How do you know? I'm curious. It seems like um, your your writing strategy is to add, you know you have a lot of that you like you said a second ago you add the the tag and then the act out and then you maybe tag up the act out is it is it really just uh, volume to try to see like try everything once see what sticks what do you do is it you just like try as many things as you possibly can see what works is that the the main strategy of stretching those bits out because I I seem I think a lot of comics have a good joke at the core. And then we have a hard time really stretching it out and making it a real strong bit. You know, like I, I've got a couple jokes that I love, but it's a I'm having trouble taking that joke to the next level and finding the other perspective or the tag or the act out. Uh, any strategies that you kind of use to, to get there and to stretch those bits out? Well, yeah, I think Patrice said you just try and tell the joke different every night, you know. Or like put it in a new spot in your uh, in in your hour or your fifteen or whatever it is. Like open with it. Um, just try and I've done the weird thing where you the then you try and oh think, sorry dude. Say, no, so the handicapped tweeter must have interrupted you. you. Said you said you've done the weird thing where you oh okay so you'll take a bit and you'll chop it in half like if that and you'll you'll take the closer like the second half of your bit and you'll open with that in the bit. And then you'll try and figure out how you could rewrite the ending, opening with the like killer punchline without the setup. Wow! Uh, you know wow. What I mean, like, huh. uh, like I had a whole thing. I have a, I have another bit where I like in an Uber and I like turn over the wrong shoulder, and that used to be the closer. Yeah, I was turning over the wrong shoulder, and that was the laugh. And then I was like, well, I can probably get a lot more juice on this if I do that in the middle and then tag that. And the joke ended up being a lot better. Yeah, I, rem- I remember that. You closed with that in Boise that night, and it was amazing. Yeah. Thanks, man. So, yeah, I don't know. Just It's it's really it's really easy to be afraid of bombing. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, if you're okay with, like, not necessarily bombing, but having to apologize after a bit, <laughs> you know, and then getting them back, like, that's totally fine. <laughs> that's a great – that's a great note, like – don't just stop being afraid of bombing. I think that's I'm what holds from someone who wants to kill more than anyone. Yeah. And if I have a mediocre set, I'll like, you know, I'll be in the fucking alleyway stomping around and my friends will be like, it wasn't that bad. And I'm like, yeah, because you don't know what good is. You know? <laughs> so, like, I, I'm the most, uh, I need to kill. Uh, Cause I'm so competitive from being an extra jock. Absolutely. 
Well, let's do this. Let's go ahead and get into our last segment. It's called Last Laugh. That's that's creepier every time. It <laughs> is. So the question is, Sam Talent, you have to, you've passed away, and you got one joke you can put on your tombstone for people to remember you by. This is Last Laugh. What would be your one joke on that tombstone? Man, I would just put Fudge Judge on there because when, <laughs> my, friends, when my friends come to visit, or no, you know what? I might put one of my own bits, which is uh, <laughs> did I do that bit about fuck my big old ass when you saw me in Boise? <laughs> I do not recall that one. <laughs> you know, like how how important catchphrases are, and like how yeah. much phrase comic, and then bumper sticker. Yeah, it turns out <laughs> my catchphrase is "fuck my big old ass." <laughs> I, would put, I would put the a bit on my tombstone that my wife and or friends hate the most. <laughs> so <laughs> you come visit and uh, pour some cognac on the concrete, like <laughs> they'll still have to be like, God, that bit, I never fucking got that bit. How did he get away with doing that for so long? <laughs> That's okay. um, yeah, I'd like to put here lies a fudge judge, I think. Perfect. That'd be amazing. I think people yeah. would, would, uh, what do you call it? When you go to someone's gravestone and you like take the trip, I forgot. Oh, make like a like a, a pilgrimage. A pilgr- yeah, the people would people yeah. would pilgrimage like Morrison to your grave to f- see the fudge judge. <laughs> well, let, let's do this, Sam. Where can people find you? Find your book? Uh, anything coming up that I need to be uh, aware of? Yeah, you can find my book at samtalent.com. T a l l e n t. Uh, they can follow me on Instagram at samtalent, and uh, yeah, uh, the audio book's coming out soon. And I'm hoping for that. Yeah. Reading is tough. Reading's tough for a lot of people. People like to listen to stuff. I understand that. Are you going to read it yourself? No, I got, uh, I got Bert Kreischer, Stan Hope. Morgan Freeman. Okay. Ari Shafir. Uh, oh, awesome. David Borey, Kyle Kinane, Adam Caton Holland. I got 11 different people reading each chapter. So Amazing. Uh, Mark Norman can't read. It's awesome. <laughs> 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 Mark Norman tried to say the word ubiquitous for like four minutes straight, dude. It was completely brutal. Um, yeah. Well, get out, get out there and, and check out the book. Uh, you can get it on paperback today, and, and soon you're going to be able to get it on an audio book, which sounds incredible. So, you can get the ebook too on uh, Amazon or Kindle or whatever. Kindle, absolutely. Right. Oh, yeah. And uh, I got a thing coming out on Quibi, Will Smith's uh, comedy show, This Joker, will be available on Quibi. So, okay. no one will see it. Uh, <laughs> Quibi. All right. We'll, we'll put it in the show notes. We'll make sure somebody sees it. Yeah. All right. <laughs> hey, hey sam thank you so much for yeah. joining us thank you all for for listening uh next week we have mr sean uh sean Patton. is it not next week oh yep. man looking forward to that so thank you all for coming sam thank you and thank you guys we'll we'll catch you on the next one breaking okay. down bits yeah man Thanks for listening to Breaking Down Bits. You can keep in touch or get more when you follow at Breaking Down Bits on social media. Visit the website BreakingDownBits.com or shoot us an email at BreakingDownBits at gmail.com.